Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast and audio-guided walk featuring many of London's untold, unsolved, and long-forgotten murders, all set within and beyond the West End. Today's episode is about a family cursed with a history of mental illness and hereditary blindness. It's a strange relationship where their condition both united and divided them. But with sexual abuse potentially added into the mix, it would lead to a brutal and horrifying murder. Murder Mile is researched using authentic sources. It contains moments of satire, shock, and grisly details. And as a dramatization of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds. So that, no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 152, Blind Obsession. Today, I'm standing somewhere in the borough of Hammersmith and Fulham in West London. Possibly outside a flat above Ashcross Square in Hammersmith, W6. But none of this can be verified, as most of the details were never published, and many were redacted. If so, we're streets from the home of one of John Monkton's killers. The garage where the first date killer pulled up with Kate Beagley's body in the boot. The house where schoolgirl Katerina Konyeva died at the hands of the beast. And not far from the obsessions of Winston Goulborn. Coming soon to Murder Mile. It is often said that some stories are never meant to be told, as there are deep dark secrets that exist in a family which no one would dare to discuss until someone steps over the line of what is right and wrong. This is a case which did not appear on the TV news 
and it barely made it into any papers. Which is why, at times, the details may be vague and many statements cannot be independently verified. A detailed report by the Mental Health Trust provided a fascinating insight into the life of the young woman involved. And although she was only ever referred to as Ms. T, we know her name was Maria Calero. What follows is some of her story. The date was Sunday the 17th of June 2007. It was early morning at roughly 3am. And as for the exact location, that was never disclosed. But it was probably a flat somewhere off Ashkov Square. From an upstairs window, two unidentified boys, aged 12 and 13, attracted the attention of a passerby, having been locked inside their bedroom. With no smoke, alarms, nor screams, this could have been a prank. Only the children were in a state of panic, not in fear for themselves, but for someone else. The police were called, and concerned for the boys' welfare, they gained entry. Physically, they were unharmed. But mentally, they had been through an ordeal, having heard a man being cruelly tortured. On the floor lay their father, Eduardo, slumped in a cold motionless puddle of his own blood. His walls and doors were spattered red, as a kitchen knife and a set of scissors had ceaselessly severed his veins and arteries. As across his once clean carpet, the sticky shadows of his bloodied handprints lay where this terrified man had dragged his body far from his assailants, leaving a long red trail like a dying slug. It was a brutal murder by someone with a lot of hatred in their heart. An attack so sustained that if it began right now, it wouldn't end until this episode stops. Three people were arrested for his death, his niece, his nephew, and his brother. But proving who the culprit was would be problematic as with the children locked in the bedroom, they saw very little. One of the accused would claim, I did not take part in the murder. The other said, I didn't kill because I couldn't see. And with all three suspects, either partially sighted or almost entirely blind, that could be true. Only there was one who saw everything a reliable eyewitness who could replay every second, every stab and every slash of the murder and recount it in a court of law with irrefutable detail and accuracy. But that is for the end. So let's go back to where this all began.
referred to in the report only as Ms. T. Maria Calero was born in 1986 in the South American country of Peru, with her brother Richard born one year later. The circumstances of their plight was unknown, but following a brutal conflict in their homeland, although their father Ricardo remained behind, six-year-old Maria, five-year-old Richard, and their mother sought asylum in the UK in 1992. It made sense, as their mother's brother, Uncle Eduardo, was living in a West London flat with his wife, his daughter, and soon to be pregnant with the first of their two sons. Although Maria's mother had very little to call her own, what she did have was a close-knit family for when times got tough. In April 1993. Maria's mother's mental health deteriorated, as her immigration status remained uncertain. And against medical advice that she needed to be fully assessed, she discharged herself from hospital. A few days later, this lone woman stood on London Bridge, looking across the dark and murky waters of the raging River Thames. In her arms, she held all that she loved. Her children, clutching them tight, and kissing their heads. Seeing this drastic measure as her only way out, she hurled both children off the bridge. Herself following behind, as they plunged thirty feet to a certain death at this known suicide spot. Quick-thinking passers-by called the police. A nearby marine patrol was dispatched, and all three were rescued. The fall should have killed them, and the water should have drowned them. But thankfully, their physical injuries weren't critical. Their mother had a fractured spine. Richard suffered face and elbow abrasions, and Maria had fractured her pelvis. In time, they would all make a good recovery, but the psychological scars would never heal. In February 1994, Maria's father Ricardo came to England seeking asylum, and given the fragility of his wife's mental state, he was assessed as the protective parent of Maria and Richard. Earning a living as a dental assistant, he supported the family while his wife sought the help she so badly needed. Maria and Richard witnessed their mother's mania on a regular basis: her outbursts, her threats, and her suicide attempts. In one, she sliced up her wrists. In another, she took an overdose of pills. And again. She would try to destroy those that she loved the most. In 1995, when Maria was only aged 11, her mother tried to drown her in a bath of water. For their safety, 
both children were placed on the child protection register. They were put into foster care, and Maria and her brother received child therapy from a Spanish-speaking therapist. The abuse she suffered made Maria feel unloved and vulnerable, and she struggled to form healthy relationships with her family. In 1998, when Maria was 12, her mother fled the family. Their relationship was torturous. So this breakup should have been a moment for Maria to rediscover herself. But having been bounced from foster homes, to temporary housing, to living with her uncle, her daughter and his two sons, Maria's early years were incredibly unstable, especially as this young girl entered a hormonally charged puberty. Life was hard. And although times were bad, for all of the Calero family, it was about to get worse. That same year, Maria's father Ricardo was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, a rare genetic disorder where the light-sensitive tissues in the retina aggressively degenerate, making even the simplest of tasks, whether reading, walking, or recognizing faces, difficult without assistance. Within the year, her father would be completely blind. And although his vision meant this family lost their main income, this diagnosis came with a very terrifying footnote. Retinitis pigmentosa is hereditary. By the turn of the millennium, Maria's home life was a mess. Her mother was back and her father was blind. So when she wasn't in foster care, she found sanctuary in her uncle's flat, just off Ashcroft Square. Two years earlier, Uncle Eduardo had separated from his wife, but stayed in the small flat with his two sons and their older sister. It seemed like a stable place for his niece to escape to. But depending on whose story you choose to believe, Maria and Eduardo had a very strange bond. One of love and hate. That same year, age 14, Maria locked herself inside her uncle's flat and refused to come out. This makes some sense, as this hormonal teenager had made allegations of bullying and abuse against her mother. Later in 2000, Maria claimed that her uncle had abused her. A social worker investigated the allegation, but no action was taken and having absconded from foster care, Maria returned to stay at her uncle's flat. Again, that same year, she alleged that her uncle had sexually assaulted her, an accusation backed up by her parents and some of her uncle's children. Both the police and child services were involved, but no action was taken as often she would deny that the assault took place, 
or entirely withdrew the allegation. And yet, it is said that being unable to maintain a healthy relationship within her family, she continued in a sexual relationship with her uncle Eduardo, as finding very little love elsewhere, she feared his rejection. In February 2001, Maria's parents alleged further inappropriate behaviour by her uncle. A complaint was made to child services, but as both Maria and Eduardo denied this, again, no action could be taken. Rightfully, the police criticised child services for allowing this minor to sleep over at her uncle's while an allegation of sexual assault was pending. But they were powerless to take action. So with no foster carer at that time, a social worker was assigned to monitor Maria while she stayed with her uncle. But there's only so much monitoring a social worker can do from a distance. In July 2001, Another official allegation of child sexual abuse was made against Uncle Eduardo and his now 15-year-old niece. This time by his own daughter. Having fled, she told the police she was afraid to go home, having seen Maria and Eduardo on the sofa. He was shirtless and putting on his trousers. Again, the allegations were denied by both, and being powerless to proceed, no charges were made. Allegations and denials flew thick and fast, and with the system designed to protect Maria, seen as both helpless and hopeless, her parents took matters into their own hands. They smashed his car windows and assaulted him in the street, it did nothing, and it resolved nothing, except to vent their frustrations. Only the stresses and strains of this fractured family were piling on top of Maria. By February 2002, concerns were raised about Maria's mental health, having been diagnosed with an adjustment disorder with dissociative symptoms. She had cut off all her hair, she had dropped out of school, and she had told her child therapist how unloved she felt, stating, even my spit isn't worth anything. And having become agoraphobic, she had become virtually housebound, living inside her uncle's flat. Two years later, child services had to remove Maria from the flat following allegations that her uncle had punched one of his preteen sons in the face. Right then, the council had proved that it had the power to protect a child from abuse. But for Maria, it was too little, too late. As by September 2004, she had turned 18. 
officially an adult. The care order had ended between Hammersmith and Fulham Children's Services, but she was transferred under the authority of the Adult Mental Health Services, as Maria had complex needs. Her mental decline was understandable given her chaotic upbringing. Nobody could hope to come out unscathed, given what she had seen, what she had heard, and what she had experienced. Truancy, depression, anxiety, isolation, infighting, with allegations of physical assaults and sexual abuse, which although unproven, could easily be real, as well as her own mother's attempts to kill herself and Maria, once in a bath as a child, and once having thrown her off London Bridge. It's no surprise that Maria lacked trust. She felt no love, she was full of anger, and she suffered with bouts of anxiety and depression. And yet, a psychiatrist would state that she had no major mental illness and no medication was required. To those who knew her, Maria's mental health was in rapid decline. But this wasn't just because of her past, as one very specific aspect of her future had been plaguing her mind for almost a decade. In the summer of 2006, Maria was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa the same hereditary condition which had taken her father's sight. And given how fast her vision had degenerated, her prognosis was not good. Specialists had confirmed that within the year, she too would be almost entirely blind. Weighing heavy on her spiralling mental health, Maria admitted to her psychiatrist that as the once bright world around her became ever darker, burning feelings of anger had begun to swell inside her. As she became more impulsive, anxious, and started to experience hallucinations. In November 2006, she was prescribed the antidepressant Stertraline. As like her mother before her, she had expressed suicidal thoughts, as well as deep feelings of aggression towards others, especially her uncle. In less than one year, Maria Calero would brutally stab Uncle Eduardo to death in a sustained torture in his Hammersmith flat, which would leave his two teenage sons traumatized. But who was the victim at that point? And why wasn't the alleged abuse stopped? Unable to restrain her bubbling rage, Maria had assaulted her mother and admitted to a psychiatrist her desire to stab and blind her uncle. Born on the maternal line, Eduardo was not affected by this family curse. But regardless of whether her hatred for him was fueled by the abuse she had allegedly suffered, 
or if you take the other side, as he had rejected her love. Maria wished blindness upon him. The psychologist was so concerned that he wrote to Eduardo, making him aware of Maria's desires to do him harm. And although her parents openly attacked him, claiming he raped their daughter, Maria returned to her uncle's flat. To say that their relationship was confusing would be an understatement. Crippled with depression, anxiety, and with the last vestiges of her vision rapidly deteriorating to the point where even the simplest of tasks had become impossible without assistance, Maria became reclusive. A shut-in at Uncle Eduardo's flat and almost entirely reliant on him for food, clothes, and prescriptions. With her mind plagued with thoughts of self-harm and aggression, as was her prerogative, she stopped seeing her therapist, she ignored the calls from her social worker, and she often failed to take her medication. Having isolated herself inside her uncle's flat, her anxieties and delusions only got worse. She would claim that voices would talk to her in the middle of the night. And sometimes, she said she saw the faces too. Whether real or imaginary, she became even more distressed as her uncle's sons mocked her. That her and Eduardo's relationship had descended into frequent verbal fights. And again, she talked about ending it all. And although she had threatened to harm her uncle, her words soon turned into wounds. On the morning of Friday the 15th of June 2007, just two days before, Maria called her social worker to confess I've stabbed my uncle and repeated her allegation that he had raped her seven years earlier. In an incident which erupted when he allegedly started to wind her up by threatening to bring his own daughter from Peru and in his words, to make your life hell. Maria stated, I felt rage, then I stabbed him in the back with a knife. But was this assault fueled by anger, jealousy, or rejection? Assessed at the A&E of Charing Cross Hospital, Eduardo covered for his niece by claiming it was a work-related injury, having fallen backwards onto a sharp metal tool. He was treated and discharged. Accompanied by a care worker, Maria reiterated her story at Hammersmith Police Station and later to the Sapphire Unit in Fulham for further investigation and she returned home. But not to her uncle's flat. This time to her parents.
On Sunday the 17th of June 2007, at roughly 2.30am, in what is believed to be a two-floor flat at the Ashcroft Square complex above the King's Mall, stood Maria, her brother Richard, and her father Ricardo. Exactly what happened may remain as vague as their vision. As with all three virtually blind, and often helpless without some assistance, the details of the night are shrouded in a thick fog of confusion and allegations. How and when they got into the flat is unknown. Maybe they had a key, maybe they broke in, or maybe they were let in on the ruse of this fractured family making peace. But at some point, Eduardo's boys were locked inside their bedroom and the real reason for the visit would come out. The torture of Uncle Eduardo was slow and protracted. Clutching a kitchen knife and a set of scissors, Maria plunged and pierced each blade into his flesh. Screaming at the top of her lungs, he raped me, he raped me. An allegation she had both repeatedly admitted and denied over the last seven years. Seeking revenge for a rape only he or she would know was true. Over the next 24 minutes, she would stab and slash the uncle she both loved and hated a total of 111 times. An attack so sustained, if it began at the beginning of this episode it still wouldn't have stopped. In his last few moments alive, Uncle Eduardo pleaded for his life. And although his terrified sons heard every second of their father's brutal murder, having flagged down a passerby, the police were alerted, the flat was sealed off, and all three members of the Calero family were arrested The evidence was irrefutable. The blood, the knife, the scissors, and the testimony of what the boys had heard. But with all three suspects either visually impaired or totally blind. As one had claimed, I did not take part in the murder, and the other, I didn't kill because I couldn't see. How could this be proven? It was simple. Unable to fully see what they were doing, whether to aid the attack or as a sick souvenir of Maria's revenge, Richard had filmed the entire murder on his mobile phone. Every second, every stab, and every slash of Eduardo's demise, which could be recounted in court as an irrefutable fact. So shocking was the footage that many jurors needed counselling over what they had seen and heard. But in that flat, that night, those 24 minutes of footage was the only reliable eyewitness.
Eduardo Mendoza was transferred to St. Mary's Hospital in Paddington, but was pronounced dead on arrival owing to blood loss and shock. Richard, Ricardo and Maria Calero were arrested on the charge of murder. With Maria sobbing as she was led away from the crime scene, the voices made me do it. But if this was true, which voices made her commit murder? The angry ones or the jealous ones? Ricardo and Richard were held in custody to await their appearance at West London Magistrates Court. Having been assessed at Shepherd's Bush Police Station, suspecting that Maria was hallucinating, she was held under Section 2 of the Mental Health Act and later transferred to a mental health hospital. So distraught was Maria's mother upon hearing the news of her brother's murder at the hands of her own husband, son and daughter, that again, Mrs. Calero took her own life. Only this time, she did not survive. In a month-long trial at the Old Bailey, on the 30th of June 2008, 21-year-old Maria, whose fingerprints had proven that she was solely responsible for the attack on Eduardo, admitted to his murder and pleaded guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility. She was given an indefinite prison sentence, with Judge Morris insisting that she serve a minimum of three years. Cleared of both the charges of murder and manslaughter, Richard and Ricardo wept as they were released. And as for the rape and sexual assault allegations made by Maria against Eduardo, they remain unresolved. But was Uncle Eduardo's murder a case of revenge or blind obsession? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. As always, if you enjoy listening to the pendulous jowls of a cake-filled fat man as he waffles on about his stupid little life in which pretty much nothing happens, except his imaginary relationship with the goddess Eva Green. Stay tuned till after the break for more info and a little quiz in Extra Mile. If you're up to date and you've run out of episodes of Murder Mile, just to say there are 50 episodes of Walk With Me, the companion piece to Murder Mile, available via Patreon, as well as location videos and exclusive photos for more than 100 episodes as well as our regular feature, Cake of the Week. Yum! You can become a Patreon subscriber for as little as $3 a month. That's £2 in real money. And I'll also post you a very exclusive pack of goodies and a handwritten thank you card from me. Life can't get any better than that. And of course, if you fancy a Murder Mile mug of goodies, you can order one via the Murder Mile merch shop. Murder Mile was research written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Getting better, getting better at that, getting better. Wasn't as many mistakes as normal, which is a miracle. It's weird, when I started this out, like an episode would take take absolutely hours to really record just because i'd stutter and stumble over every word it doesn't help having a bit of a a slight speech impediment and a um uh have dyslexia as well but um i think doing the podcasting has really helped it's really helped sort all this out and hence i I can kind of power also I i try not to over egg the episodes by putting too many um uh, too much alliteration there because even though they're fun to say sometimes it takes me minutes and it gets really frustrating and uh, you know so uh, yeah oh hello everyone welcome to extra mile Whew, we're back we're back you can hear coot in the background shouting his mouth off there's a duck not too far down from here and he's really annoying and he does this he just goes and he doesn't stop for an hour and then he'll stop for like a minute because he, he and he get, gives himself a bit of a breath and he goes and he just keeps going it's just like shut up you little bastard um right let me go make a, a disgustingly cheap uh cup of tea i'd already done the water i'm just gonna open some curtains as well cool look daylight yay Open up these curtains as well. Pop that on. Oh, look. Cheapy tea. Cheapy coffee. And it's, uh, it's as always, it's roulette coffee. Where I, I put it in a big jar. I get it down to about quarter empty. And then I refill it with another coffee. Then I give it a stir. Then I do it again. And then you end up with a, what can be quite, called as quite an interesting little coffee. It's uh, you get hints of it. Sometimes it can be a week, and then you get a blast of it, where like some super strength coffee is in there. Oh, anyway, heading back. Oh, ah, so what's going on? Um, I was heading uh, into town. Uh, unfortunately, they've uh, they're fixing one of the locks. 
Uh, and I said to the people who run the, 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 the canal authority, I said to them, ah, what do I do? Because I've, I've missed the, the deadline to get through the lock. My mistake, what do I do? do I, can I stay here for like five weeks? And they went, no, you've got to turn around and go back. And then when the lock opens, then you can continue your journey. So basically, I've, I've, I'm back where I was two, two weeks ago, which is really annoying. But it's fine, actually, because... I was kind of hoping they'd say that, that they'd say you've got to turn around. So I've turned back and I'm near the good bakery. I'm near a laundrette. I'm near a place where there's lots of nice walks I can take. So actually, I'm not really that bothered, to be honest. If I would have stayed there, I was right next to HS2 site. And all you could hear was the boom, boom, boom all the time. So yeah, I'm not really that bothered about that. Uh, what else is going on? I'm still researching the uh, Murder Mile book. Hoping to get that out next summer. That's proving fun. Um, just focusing on all, all cases in and around Old Compton Street, which is good fun. Um, and finding a lot of cases that have never been covered before. Um, just because I have different ways of researching things. Uh, and they're all good. So uh, we will be... So you'll get a book. It'll be uh, all based on one street. And you'll be able to see all these cases, read all these cases that you never heard before. But even with the cases that we have covered on Murder Mile before, I found new spins on it. Uh, it's very, really a lot of fun. I've had a lot of uh, really good fun days where I've picked up old cases and thought, okay, let's pretend I don't know anything about this case. And then I've researched in and gone, oh, this is a new angle that I've never thought of before. So yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with those and just a lot of stuff that I just never knew about as well. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but that won't be out until probably, probably summer, summer, summer time. Um, what else is going on? Evenings. I've started making nice, a, a liter of ramen for dinner. I do a big walk, like I did. I did ten miles yesterday, which was good fun. Burn off all my calories because I'm sitting down all day. And then in the evening, I make, I get like a big mixing bowl out, and I make a handmade ramen with it. I put in all my uh, ginger and me uh, garlic, and you know all all the all the stuff that you put in. And the great thing with ramen, you can put any old crap in it, uh, and it's oh god, it's great. But it's like it's a liter deep in a big bowl. Here's here's my coffee. It's ready. Oh. Uh, coffee ready. There we go. Um, coming back. Uh, yeah, it's lovely. So you put all your, your, your garlic and your ginger in it, and your your spring onions, and your and your and your pok choy. And uh, the great thing is, I you put carrots and everything in it, and it's just great. And then your noodles in, it's really brothy. And you sit there for an hour, and you drink the broth. And the broth has got all because it's got all the chili in it. Oh, it's nice. It makes you all nice and warm. So that's my evening treat. I've had the fire on for a couple of days, but it's too warm now. It's too. It's ten ten degrees at night outside, and I keep waking up in the middle of the night, going, "God, it's too bloody hot. Oh, I'm dying." It's all right for Eva. She likes the heat. Like, uh, I, but me, you know, I have to, I have to sit at the end of the bed at, at her feet, making whimpering sounds. She, she likes it when I make whimpering sounds, like a little puppy. Uh, but no, the ramen's good, very good. Um, eating my ramen whilst enjoying. I, I'm really getting into what's the SAS? Are you tough enough? The thing with Aunt Middleton. Quite enjoying that. That's really good fun. Uh, good series. Uh, I tried watching what's that one. Uh, that uh forensic show with uh professor whatever his name is who makes the wild assumptions and uh amelia fox 
God, that's contrived. Oh, God. Unfortunately, having spent so many years in television, unfortunately, I can see all the contrivances in it and the contrived conversations that they have. Like, oh, I've just received a call from... And it's just like, no, you haven't. This has all been done by the researchers months ago. This is all pre-done in advance. But it, but it's made to make you think, oh, it's just the two of them. It's not... They're not doing... They're doing frick all. Oh, God, it's so contrived. Oh... And when they're having the conversations, it's clearly scripted. And you can tell because Amelia's good at having a conversation, but Professor whatever his name is. Let's just call him Professor Nobed. Professor David Wilson is his name. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's not very good at acting, unfortunately, and therefore it's, it's, it comes across awkwardly. Oh, uh, Anyway, anyway, so uh, luckily I've got other... Pro- I don't really like true crime programmes. I find them really contrived. I really do. Uh, anyway, uh, what else is going on? Uh, news. I'm not doing CrimeCon next year. Uh, had a good long talk. I, I really enjoyed it this uh, the year just gone. Really lovely to, to kind of meet up with all the podcasters and have a good laugh. And that was really good. Uh, but personally for me, I just, I just don't feel it was beneficial for me as a podcaster. Uh, it, it costs a lot of money to do. It costs a lot to turn up. It was lovely to meet a lot of people there. It was really good. Uh, but it just I just didn't feel it was it was as beneficial as it could be given the amount of money that it costs for us to do it and you've got to take time off as well so uh, I won't be doing uh, that next year uh, which is good news for you guys that means I won't be doing any adverts any of those annoying bloody adverts across a year but uh, I will be doing some some lovely free meet and greets uh, with some of the other podcasters because I know some of the others aren't doing it as well so we're going to do free meetups meet and greets different parts of the country hopefully turn up say hello to us uh we'll bring some freebies with us we'll have some giggle maybe do a quiz maybe do maybe do some live podcasting who knows so have a bit of giggle at that so uh so stay tuned no details at the moment but stay tuned um at the time of recording itunes are still being a bloody pain in the arse uh, and I'm still struggling to get episode 149, uh, The Abuse of Jane Andrews, part two, uploaded. It is in there. If you're an iTunes subscriber, if you look at the main window, it's not there. You'll go, oh, where is it? Where's the episode? But if you're a subscriber, go into where it says uh, your podcast feed. And it is in there because I subscribe to it. And it is in there. It's just not showing up in the window. So, uh, But if not, say balls to itunes itunes is a piece of shit and they keep updating it all the time and it always goes wrong and you there's no one you can talk to and they, they're just wankers i hate them they really are an unnecessary unfortunately a necessary evil um but there is i'm pretty much on every podcast platform so if you want to do what i do have a secondary backup one i've a, i have podcast addict and have a couple of other ones i upload direct to acast they have a, they have a podcast app um it's always going to be on that so you can have that as a backup if you need to uh you don't need to subscribe to that you can just you can just listen to the episode when you need to uh, uh or of course uh, if you are a subscriber to patreon oh lovely um if you pay i think i think it's more than i think it's like ten dollars a month which is seven pounds or something like that. on the on the feet on the uh the tier above that you get uh you get uh an ep- the episodes every single week without fail no adverts none of that shit and it always arrives on a monday brilliant you get it f- three days before everyone else so uh very much worth doing 
Cake of the week, well my cake of the week is a Belgian bun. I'm near the little bakery around the corner. I've got a big old Belgian bun. Oh, it's stuck to the wrapper. And there he is, there's the little glacé cherry, which I'll eat last. Right, let's do the quiz questions. Oh, quick slurp of the coffee and it was too hot. Um, uh, question number one. Uh, what country was Maria born in? This is a really awkward episode to do because I can't I can't pronounce my R's properly and therefore I've got Maria, Richard and Ricardo in you know and there's lots of other stuff as well. It made it really difficult. Could be worse, could be more difficult names. Uh question two. What did Maria's father do as a job? Question three. What bridge did Maria's mother jump from? Which, if you Google this bridge, it comes up with all the wrong bridges. That's fascinating. Google it and then look at, click on images and you'll only see like a handful of that bridge and often they point to the wrong bridge. Bloody Google. Question four. Uh, what is the name of the police team who deal with sexual assault? That was mentioned at the end of the episode. Although uh, I may have deleted the bit where I said that they they deal solely with sexual assault only because it was proving a bit of a bit of a mouthful of a sentence that may be edited out uh, question five what was maria's middle name uh question six how many times was eduardo stabbed question seven what ages were eduardo's boys at the time of the murder question eight a minimum of how many years must Maria spend in prison? Question nine. What was Maria known as in the mental health report? And question ten. What year did Maria and her family come to the UK? There you go. We'll do some extra stuff on this. Uh, so as mentioned in this episode, uh, it's... It's a hard one to kind of uh, do. Uh, the, the, very little of it made it into the press. Or barely any of it made it into television. I think there's only like about five news outlets who picked it up, and all of them had the same kind of uh, information from the uh, from either Reuters or AP Wire. There was probably about two paragraphs in total, and I remember looking at it and going, "Well, this this could be a really interesting case, but I wish I had more details." Uh, but because I know where to look and how to look and uh, how to dive into deep into cases, I, I I knew that there would be a mental health uh, report. I just had to find it, and I found it. It took a while, but then but then when you get inside there, the problem with the report is they make reference to Miss X and uh, Mister B and things like that, and you go, oh shit, who are all these people? But luckily, there's not too many people in this case. And when they go Miss X's daughter, you can go, okay, well, okay, right. We can you can start making the links so uh luckily that's i used that that was the primary basis for this uh so you probably won't hear this i, I you probably almost certainly won't hear this case anywhere else because i think most people will look at it and go there's not enough information but there is you've just got to dig deep so uh the hereditary blindness condition uh it was uh retinitis pigmentosa uh, which is a rare group of genetic disorders that involve the breakdown and loss of cells in the retina, uh, which is the light-sensitive tissue at the back of the eye. Um, 
common symptoms include difficulty seeing at night and loss of peripheral vision. Uh, in the early stages of RP, rods are more severely affected than cones. As the, as the rods die, people experience nice blindness and progressive loss of the field of vision. The area of space... Hang, uh, where was... Yeah, so some, many people start developing tunnel vision, uh, but it, it's quite an aggressive degeneration and it gets to the point where it's almost it's in many cases almost entire blindness so with maria her, her father got it first as mentioned in 1998 uh, so he was told that he would be almost entirely blind within a year so by the time the murder happened he was entirely blind almost as near entirely blind which meant he had to be he had to be uh, kind of walked everywhere um maria was uh, diagnosed in 2004 initially with glaucoma but then 2006 she was given the uh, the uh, uh, what's the word diagnosis of the condition of rp in 2006 which meant by the time that the murder happened she was almost entirely blind as well Uh, her brother maybe not we don't have clarification of this he seems to have had it as well question mark uh, and may have been diagnosed a year after her, but we, but again, question mark. There's a lot of information in the mental health file, but obviously it's focused on her mental health, not entirely on the case. So there's a lot of details that are kind of hard to pin down. Um, I think what's really interesting about this case in the, is the relationship between Maria and Eduardo. Um, what really was going on there? Was it... Uh, was he an abusive uncle did he have her under his kind of power and control uh because she didn't find a lot of love in her family was it the fact that he was abusing her did she see that as some kind of love as some as quite often happens do you know there's kind of a um, a weird line between am i being loved or am i being abused and some people sometimes see abuse and love is the same thing they're like you know i would rather i would at least this person is kissing me and touching me and they see that as kind of nicer than being physically assaulted or you know your your mum trying to kill you or drown you in your bath or throwing you off a bridge you know so it makes for a really complicated situation um the as far as we know the uh allegations against the uncle remain unsolved uh i i i've searched i haven't been been able to find any reports on this maybe because he's dead maybe they have been left unresolved we don't know um it's it's an interesting case in a way because the the parents both accused the uncle of raping their daughter the daughter maria denies this but she also says it did happen as well so that's hard to kind of pin down um the uncle's own daughter said that there was sexual abuse taking place, but in the report as well, it also says that there's sexual abuse um, committed by the sons uh, of the uncle as well. Although a lot of this is allegations, so it's this is a really hard. Oh, this was, uh, this was a pig to write in a way because there's a lot of stuff in here that isn't provable. The, the the facts of the murder are there they're solid even though we haven't kind of got the police reports not there and things like that but the, the the details are solid enough whereas the allegations were abuse this is the kind of hard thing is that 
people would make accusations and then they would deny the accusation do you know so it's 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 a really hard one there was accusations on all sides so uh, uh hammersmith and fulham a single agency review identifies that at various times there were allegations of bullying domestic violence and poor parenting um both maria and her brother uh, remained on the child protection register for four years uh, they were in the care of the local authority for 11 years, during which time they lived mainly with their parents, with some periods in foster care. Uh, but also, as you've seen in this episode, Maria had a tendency to go back to her uncle, uh, which makes for a very interesting and difficult situation, which is why at the end I kind of posed the question, really, what is going on here? Why did Why did she kill him? Was it... See, he seems to abuse her if he indeed he did abuse her, but then she goes back to him, which we see a lot in a lot of different cases where, especially with domestic violence cases where, you know, someone will be beaten and abused and everyone's going, you've got to get out of the relationship. And the, you know, the the man or the woman goes, yeah, but I, but I love them. I love them. I can't live without them because they're, they're made to feel so worthless. And I th- I'm, it, it's uncertain whether this is kind of the same thing here, whether whether her mum made her feel so worthless as she said at the start you know my spit is not worth anything so maybe having the uncle kind of in her eyes not abuse her but kind of give her love and kind of kissing and cuddling and things like that and etc and a sexual relationship maybe she saw that as a as proper love how love is meant to be it's as they say do you know when you're a kid how do you know the difference from right right and wrong how does she as a child if she's raised in that kind of environment where uh, she's being abused on one end and she doesn't how does she not see that it's not abuse on the other end it's a it's a, a weird situation there's a lot of mistakes uh made by uh hammersmith and fulham uh social services in this case um a lot of opportunities were missed Uh, i won't go into them all i've tried to i've tried to pick up a lot of points in this um in this episode but there's a lot that we just can't we can't verify it it's a very difficult one um the uh, second possible allegation made by uh the uncle's daughter in july 2001 where she came back home and found um, Uncle Eduardo on the sofa, shirtless, and putting on his trousers next to Maria. Um, that's all we really know about that. It's it's very vague on there. We don't have a police report about that. Uh, we probably never will do. So uh, exactly what happened there, it's hard to pin down. Um, as mentioned, September 2004, that's when she turned 18. So uh, she was no longer under the care of Hammersmith and Fulham's children's services. Uh, but they saw that she had very complex mental health needs. So she was transferred under the Adult Mental Health Services Department. Um, uh, she was uh, given an enhanced care package. She was allocated a care coordinator who worked with her uh leaving care team worker uh for several years uh they had uh, apparently a very close relationship um but the care worker was not trained or experienced in mental health 
uh, mental health assessment. So the uh, the mental health team uh, assessed her on a regular basis. She was always an outpatient. She was assessed and diagnosed with moderate to severe anxiety. Although the consultant found there was no evidence of major mental illness and no medication was required at that point. She was referred uh, to the Trust Psychological Services for Cognitive Behavioural Therapy. Uh, as mentioned throughout, she they said she had an ad- adjustment disorder, which is a stress-related short-term non-psychotic disturbance with dissociative symptoms, um, which is depersonalization, so a feeling that your body does not quite belong to you or is disconnected from you, um, and a feeling that... Uh, you are not connected to the world around you, that you're constantly spaced out. Um, combined with the fact that she also had uh, agoraphobia, uh, which, as you know, is... Uh, um, they've got it here. is an anxiety disorder characterised by anxiety in situations where it is perceived to be difficult or embarrassing to escape. Um, mentioned in here as well that she seemed to be suffering... Uh, it's hallucinations but they describe it as pseudo hallucinations so pseudo hallucinations the difference is a hallucination is you're you're physically you're seeing something and you believe it's real but a pseudo hallucination is you're hallucinating but you know it's a hallucination so you know it's not real but you can see it uh and she was aware of the fact that she was seeing things that weren't real uh but they were just in her head but she could physically see them uh she was Uh, Feeling suicidal at the same time, which is exactly the same as her mother previously. We don't know what her mother suffered from. uh, That's not mentioned in here. Uh, It said that she was emotionally unstable um, and impulsive. She had low self-esteem and social anxiety. Uh, Threats to her. I'm going to have another slurp of my disgustingly cheap coffee. Oh, lovely. Um... October 2007, as mentioned, uh, she'd uh, threatened violence towards her uncle. She'd threatened violence to her mother prior. Uh, um, This is around the point where she's constantly... She's denying that any abuse has taken place, but again, she'd sometimes slip back into it. Um, It's it's uncertain exactly what is going on by this point, uh, whether her uncle had kind of wasn't interested in her her anymore or because she was making accusations against him he was like i don't want you around my flat anymore i don't want you here you're causing me problems um so that's when she'd started making threats to stab him but also to blind him um we don't know much about the murder itself we know that uh she stabbed him number of times which is one of the quiz questions well done michael um we don't know where the stab wounds happened um It could be that he was stabbed in the eyes because as we see here that she wanted to blind him um, but we don't know we don't know exactly whether it's full-on stab wounds or whether it's slashes but as mentioned it took place over 24 minutes which is a hell of a long time Uh, it's roughly he she stabbed him once every 15 seconds roughly uh, during that period of time but we don't know anything about it but literally because it wasn't really that relevant to uh, her mental health case kind of because because the the report itself was really about her history and and where where the council and social services felt that they might may have made a mistake or whatever it's focused on that so the the 
The murder itself is kind of really just a cherry on the cake, really. Mmm, cherry on the cake, which I'm about to tuck into very shortly. Um, she had a couple of meetings with her psychiatrist uh, during, uh, as things were going downhill, uh, she had one on the 12th of December 2006. Um, her thoughts were played with the idea that she was going blind. Her eyesight was continually disappearing she was uh very agoraphobic by that point and she wanted to die she was offered an inpatient admission uh but the offer made her more agitated she said she would rather go home with her uncle uh who had accompanied her with uh, to the appointment uh, so even though she's making accusations against him the, she still wants to live with her uncle and he comes with her to the appointment obviously that also could be the fact that because she is going blind, she needs someone to accompany her there. And her uncle was one of the people that she trusted. So uh, it's an interesting situation. Also with the, her father as well. She seems to, there doesn't seem to be anything bad said against her father at all. He seems to be you know, quite a good, decent man, a provider, things like that. But obviously she's got a really, really turbulent relationship with her mother and her mother is still living there. So whether if the mother wasn't there whether she would have lived with her father instead we don't know um obviously in this episode i don't really say much about the brother richard because this all this information comes from the mental health report of maria not richard so um so we don't really know much about him i don't really say much about him in there in here uh there was the a crisis resolution meeting uh set up in january 2007 uh a protection of uh, it's a, a pover a protection of vulnerable adults meeting it took place 23rd of january 2007 uh attended by all the psychiatrists uh the social workers the care coordinator um their plan uh was for maria to be referred to a low support housing unit uh, and for the leaving care care team to stop their involvement with her uh when she became 21 years old which would be september 2007 uh which is three months after the murder happened so they would still be supporting her by that point uh she was deteriorating fast she's um she said she was hearing voices in the middle of the night and she in the morning uh, she would see a woman who she would sometimes see as well as hear. Uh, at that point, she was prescribed the antipsychotic with risperidone. Uh, what else was there? Uh, things were deteriorating at home. 14th of March, she said to her, uh, she'd stop uh, seeing, uh, going to a lot of her appointments, but she'd said to one of her counsellors that she'd recently had an argument with her uncle. She was throwing things at him, but not directly attacking him. Uh, what else was there? And I think this is the key one. Two days before, this is the key incident, I think so. Um, she said her uncle had been winding her up uh, by saying that he was going to bring her daughter to in his his own daughter from England, from to England, from Peru, uh, in her, her words, to make her life hell. Uh, I just felt rage and I stabbed him in the back with a knife. Uh, that's, it's an odd one. It, it, it seems to be jealousy, rejection upset the all, all the stuff to do with the the physical assaults and the um the sexual allegations have always been there for the last seven years but this seems to be the tipping point this seems to be the point where everything just snaps inside her she doesn't go uh back home with him she goes back to her parents 
Uh, obviously, as mentioned, he covers for her, but she uh, reiterates the rape allegation uh, to the police. But unfortunately, um, with the police, what they what they did, she obviously went to Hammersmith Police Station. She made an accusation of uh, the fact that she had stabbed him and that he had raped her in 2000. Um, so obviously, because this is two separate offences, it had to be split. So um, one team would deal with the stabbing uh, and the other would deal with the rape allegation. Obviously, that went to the specialist unit who deals with the rape allegations. Uh, unfortunately, uh, they were the police were so focused on the rape allegation that they really hadn't focused on the fact that she had stabbed him. Uh, and in the court, that's uh, Judge... What was his name? Judge Morris. Uh, he said, if there would have been more of a focus at that point of why she had committed that stabbing, maybe the murder would never have taken place. Um... I mean, it's all hindsight, isn't it? You can you can say that about anything. Uh, Maria had returned to her father's home. She had previously told the care worker and the leaving social worker that she feels safe there. The coordinator reported the matter to one of the mental health uh, senior practitioners who sought advice from the doctor who offered Maria an urgent review appointment on Monday the 18th of June. Uh, sadly, this was one day after the murder always the way with these things you know um people try their best but you can't predict when someone's gonna go over the edge um uh maria was taken to shepherd's bush police station uh and the doctor said that she was under the influence of auditory hallucinations she seemed distressed when the duty mental health approved social worker saw her and asked about events earlier that morning uh, Maria described seeing another version of herself entering and leaving the police cell and at times appeared to be engaging in a conversation with this other version of herself. Uh, Maria was placed uh, on Section 2 of the Mental Health Act and transferred to a private mental hospital. We really don't know much about her at that point because afterwards she was transferred to... Uh, when she was convicted, she was transferred to prison. We don't know anything else about where she is now, what she's up to uh she could be released as far as we know um let's do the quiz questions and then we can uh answer some of those extra extra stuff there we go okay uh right uh oh come on michael find that page there we go michael uh okay question number one what country was maria born in it was peru Question number two. What did Maria's father do as a job? He was a dental assistant. What bridge did Maria's mother jump from? It was London Bridge. What is the name of the police team who deal with sexual assault? I may have edited this out. The Sapphire team. Question five. What was Maria's middle name? That was a trick question. She doesn't have one, I think. Uh, there wasn't one mentioned in the report, so but she may have one. Uh, but as far as we know, we don't. So that's the answer. Uh, question six. How many times was Eduardo stabbed? Uh, it was 111 times. Cripes. But obviously we don't know whether that was... Uh, whether it was 
repeated stabs, like repeatedly in the last couple of minutes of the murder, just her ferociously stabbing him, or whether she did it over those full 24 minutes, we don't know. Um, question seven, what ages were Eduardo's boys at the time of the murder? They were tw- they were 12 and 13. Uh, question eight, a minimum of how many years must Maria spend in prison? It was three the minimum she was given an indefinite sentence but a minimum of three so she could be out now for as far as we know uh question nine what was maria known as in the mental health report it was ms t t lummy and question 10 uh what year did maria and her family come to the uk it was 1992 so that's that that's all done hope you enjoyed that we got five more episodes of murder mile to go until the end to take us through to the end of the year uh, I'll, I'll do i'll probably i might do a little special thingy uh, for christmas day and then i might do something uh special for new year and then don't forget that it takes us to january and february which is when i take off because i do all the research uh, so that'll be nice and quiet and then we'll be back in march so thank you very much for listening to murder mile have yourself a good week stay safe and be good Lots of love. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.